Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from City Field in New York. Game one, it's the New York Mets five, the Cleveland Guardians four. Game two, it's the New York Mets two, the Cleveland Guardians one. I'm Davey Barris, a lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And Doubleheader gave us a ton of baseball on this Sunday. Unfortunately, I had to work. Uh, I had family over, so I, I I didn't get to watch as much of this stuff as I would have liked, especially uh, the night game uh, with uh, you know uh, Verlander and Bieber going at it, the two aces on prime time. I always enjoy hearing the other perspective on the team. And somebody pointed out it was a it was a pretty heavy New York broadcast. Uh, they interviewed New York players on the field. They interviewed New York players on the sideline, and I did not give that kind of attention to the Cleveland Guardians. So, uh, a little lopsided there. But uh, you know, the Mets were the story of the weekend because not only do they sweep the doubleheader, but they sweep the freaking series over your Cleveland Guardians. And I'm surprised. I'm actually mad that uh, you know it got rained out, and I couldn't talk to you yesterday. Because the reaction to Friday night's game is very troubling to me. I first off, I mean, sometimes you just gotta step back from Guardians Twitter. Like Twitter, I know Twitter's kind of a dumpster fire, right? We all joke about Twitter. I, I go on there just to hear what other people are saying about the team and get a little bit of a pulse, a little bit of a vibe out there among the amongst the fan base. And geez, people were ready to jump off a ledge on Friday night. I mean, they're ready to fire Tito on Friday night. It was. A complete meltdown of the fan base in what I thought was a good baseball game. I mean, look, you you can't expect this is not a 100-win baseball team, right? It's not. They're going to lose games along the way. All I'm asking for at this point is to have competitive games, interesting games. And you can't deny that Friday night, like, to, to strip away your Cleveland fandom for a second. Just as a baseball fan, Friday night was an interesting game. It held your attention. There were runs scored in most of the innings. The Guardians jump out to a lead. The Mets look like they're climbing back. The Guardians jump out to an even bigger lead. Alonzo, who was nuclear at that point, hits another home run to tie it up. It goes to extras. Both teams have big 10th innings. And, you know, the Mets one-up us, right? They they get to our bullpen multiple times. I think I thought it was a good baseball game. We had heroics on our side. They had heroics on their side. It's everything you'd want as a fan, as a viewer of this sport. You know, there's this thing. I can't believe my brother's going to be so embarrassed that I'm doing this. But I'm going to use a wrestling analogy. Because there's a thing in wrestling called a squash match. Right? Where you you hire some local guy to come in. And your superstar just you know beats him up really quick. Looks big and tough. And isn't really challenged. And yet one or two of those is fine. But if you kept doing it night after night, it's not fun anymore. It's not impressive anymore. You want to see competition. You want to see a match. You want to see your hero be challenged. And yeah, that, that's what we got on Friday night. We got a challenge on both sides, both fan bases at times felt like their team was going to lose and felt like their team could win it and pull it out and was heroic. That's what you want. That's what you want in a baseball game. So why are you complaining about Friday night? Why is Friday night such a disaster to you? 
Think about that for a second. Think about that, you know, the reason you watch this stuff. It's for big moments. And you got... If you just want to see your team run away in the first, you know, three innings, run up a lead, and just coast to the end of the game, night after night after night, I'm telling you, you'd get bored of it. So, you know, at least appreciate the entertainment factor of Friday night, okay? That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I, you could be mad we lost. You could be mad we lost. But appreciate the entertainment factor of what was actually a really good baseball game. Now, when it compounds and your team gets swept in the series and you get swept in a doubleheader and you really, really can't touch either Scherzer or Verlander, then you could start to get a little more mad. Then you could start to get a little more frustrated. When they call up, I'm burying the lead, when they call up the catcher you've been waiting for in Bo Naylor to be the 27th man during the doubleheader, already, already they're teasing you. Because you see the headlines, you see the tweets, or the Bleacher Report updates, or the MLB.com update, whatever, wherever you get your news from. You see the, the headline, Bo Naylor getting called up, dot, 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 as the 27th man for the doubleheader. Already they're teasing you by doing it that way. And then the lineup comes out for game one today, and Zanino is starting at catcher. And you're like, oh, come on. Come on. Zanino is, we have no loyalty to Zanino. He, he was a long shot this offseason to try to provide some stability while Naylor got more experience, you know, with whatever they claim he needs more experience with. I, I don't watch those AAA games. I, I don't know. I don't know if he's progressing. I He seems to be hitting the ball a ton, hitting some home runs, having a lot of big highlight moments. Uh, but you just assume that these guys are progressing in the minor leagues. But Zanino's been garbage. He's terrible defensively. I mean, one of the worst we've ever seen. We used to laugh at other teams that would come in with catchers that bad. Right? Gary Sanchez, who we faced multiple times in this series. We would laugh every time we had to face Gary Sanchez because you knew a pass ball was going to happen. You knew you could steal bases on him. And that's how other teams are treating Zanino. They're running all over us. So, just bad vibes right there, right there to start the day. And then, yeah, you come into game one, and you absolutely can't touch Max Scherzer. Six innings pitch, three hits, no earned runs, one walk, five strikeouts on 86 pitches. He did leave the game after six. I didn't even hear. I didn't hear any news if it was an injury thing, if something was bothering him. He's only hard hit five times on the day. And looking at his CSW numbers, nothing spectacular from Scherzer. Uh, 16% whiff rate, so not a high whiff rate at all. Only a 21% CSW, 22 foul balls, and an average exit velocity of 88.3 is what he's going to hang his hat on. Uh, Going over to the Illustrator here, I was looking at the count breakdowns a little bit. And he was working ahead a little bit, you know, mostly working ahead, way more than Tanner Bybee was. Uh, Bybee, who ends up walking, I believe, four? Yes, four batters uh, in the game, uh, giving up seven hits. Uh, six in- All right, might as well do the whole thing. Six innings pitched, seven hits, two earned runs, which isn't bad. It's quality start. Before walks and three strikeouts on 99 pitches. He's hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. 
but pitching behind uh, in the count, you know, not starting with that first pitch strike a ton, uh, ends up going uh, falling behind 1-0 to uh, 12 different batters, uh, 12 batters. Meanwhile, only starting up a one uh, against 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 uh, batters. So pretty, it's 50-50 there, first pitch strike, and you need better than that. You need to be better. You need we ex- if Bybee wants to have success working ahead in the count, getting that first pitch strike over, it's gonna really help out. You, you, it's hard to be a rookie and give up that many walks and hang into the game, but he does it. He hangs into the game. I mean, again, six innings and two earned runs is nothing. It's no slouch there. Uh, again, nothing eye popping as far as CSW numbers go or anything. Uh, Pitching-wise, the slider uh, was decent, but he didn't get him to chase. Got a couple of called strikes with the slider, but didn't get him to chase it out of the zone. They only swung outside the zone on that slider 25% of the time. So not really chasing the slider. And that happens when you're not working ahead in the count. I'm sure a couple of, uh, you know, 1-2 counts, 0-2 counts, even 2-2 counts would help. Uh, get a little more outside the zone swinging on that slider, which would lead to more whiffs and more strikeouts and less walks. Hey, that sounds like a pretty good combination for a starting pitcher. Uh, so, yeah, so it all compounds uh, a little bit there for him from falling behind. 1 0 and working, you know, not working in a pitcher's count. Uh, so they do score two off him. Uh, and then Eli Morgan comes in first pitch, gives up the home run to Brandon Nimmo. Uh, the home runs given up by the Guardians on this day uh, in game one, in game one, because there'd be multiple home runs given up in game one. Uh, and then Trevor Steffen comes in from the bullpen in the eighth inning after the Guardians take the lead and gives up a home run to Starling Marte. Both pitches are just like dead middle of the plate fastballs. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't put a pitch in a more hittable position. Uh, for a home run. So Nimmo gets a fastball, I mean, a slightly elevated, dead center of the plate, hits it 108.8 miles per hour, first pitch he sees. Uh, so he, something must have been telling him, like, sit fastball against Eli Morgan. Uh, clearly the scouting report. And then Starling Marte was a 1-0 count, and again, fastball, middle, dead middle of the plate, slightly elevated, and absolutely uh, cranks that one. Actually, no, he doesn't crank that one. Actually, seen Marte's was a more controlled swing. Exit velocity is only 103. He goes the opposite way with it because uh, that looked more like he was reacting to a fastball, and it just landed in the sweet spot of the bat. Uh, it looked like a much more, you know, Nimmo's, he was teeing off on a fastball. Uh, Marte's looked more like he was reacting to a fastball and just got lift on it because this pitch was elevated and in a really nice spot. Uh, and got some good lift on it and carried the fence in right field. So those are two really, really bad pitches from the bullpen. And all right, so here's my other point. So you heard me rant and rave about Friday night. Here's my rant about Sunday's doubleheader. I hate to say it, but the Cleveland Guardians, the 2023 Cleveland Guardians, I'm going to say it, as of May 21st, I'm recording this before, you know, at night, before I fall asleep. They're a bad team. They are. I, I know it hurts to say it out loud. I get it. I defend this team a ton. But 
right now they're just straight up a bad team. The talent, here's the thing. Here's the other side of this. The talent is there for them to be a good team. But they're not competing for nine innings. They're not finishing games. This eighth inning here is a a great example of it, that the talent is still there. They have a fantastic rally in the eighth inning of game one. Put up four runs. Take the lead. Multiple guys contributing with some heroic moments and then some lucky moments too. I mean, Freeman lead off double. Freeman needs to be playing every day. This guy can hit. The kid can hit. Find a way for him to play every day, please. Bo Naylor, at least a productive ground out, moves him to third. Miles Straw grounds out and brings the run in. Made it a 3-1 to one game. That was actually kind of an important run there in the eighth inning. Quan doubles with two outs to keep it going. Ahmed Rosario with a ridiculous bloop single. 65 mile per hour exit velocity. 42 degree launch angle. And just drops it into no man's land in right field. Uh, so drives in Quan. Hey, a bonus run right there with two outs. 3-2 game. You're thinking, all right, we put ourselves in a competitive position at least. And then Jose Ramirez with the two-run home run. This was an interesting at-bat in the eighth inning. Because they bring in David Robertson. And uh, normally Ramirez is sitting fastball. But Robertson throws cutter and knuckle curve. And I got to be honest, look at that highlight. Look at that replay. It looks to me like Jose Ramirez was hunting a curveball in this at-bat. 90% of the time, he's hunting fastballs. But again, maybe it's the scouting report. Well, you know, these are the little details we have to infer. Based on what we're seeing here on StatCast, what we see with our eye in the game. Throws him a knuckle curve on the first pitch for a called strike. Throws him a cutter off the plate uh, for ball one. And then comes back with another knuckle curve. This time more on the plate. That first one, eh, frankly, was off the plate and got a Robertson got a call. This one is more on the plate. It's a little bit low, but if you're sitting curveball like this and you're not trying to pull it, you know, if this curveball comes inside... Yeah, pull it. But if this curveball stays away, drive it the other way. And when you're sitting curveball and not sitting fastball, it makes it a lot easier to go down and get a pitch like this. And, uh, I mean, he he put a swing on it. Hit it 103.2 miles per hour, 26-degree launch angle, 4.11 off the railing in left center field. It clanged throughout the entire ballpark. Uh, had an 8.30 expected batting average, would have been a home run in 19 of 30 ballparks. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really good swing from Jose Ramirez. So that's that's my guess. That's my guess. My guess is he was hunting curveball there. However, a walk to start the eighth. Not going to cut it, Trevor Stephan. If you want to be a setup, man, this, this is what I'm saying. Not finishing games. Not, not being the better team for nine innings. Uh, losing the inning here. I mean, it's crazy to say we scored four runs, they scored two, but we lose the inning because we lose the momentum. We lose the win probability. We lose the lead. We lose everything. Walk to lead off the inning. That'll kill you as a late inning reliever. And then, boom, he gives that fastball to Marte, and Marte makes him pay. Would have been a home run in 30 out of 30 ballparks. 
So, uh, yeah, we go down in game one. Uh, Bo Naylor does get an at-bat. He came in to pinch hit and got two at-bats in this game. Again, the productive ground out in the eighth. And then he comes back up in the ninth with a runner on. Uh, They managed to keep a runner on despite a force out from Tyler Freeman. And Bo Naylor comes up. I thought he hit it better off the bat. It was a pitch that broke in on him. He pulls it into right field. Off the bat, on the TV angle, I thought this was something. I, I did. I stood up. I threw my fist up in the air. I thought it was something. And it was just an 88.5 mile per hour exit velocity line out to right field. So, turned out it was nothing. I, maybe maybe he just didn't get the barrel of the bat. Maybe it was a little bit high up on the handle. I, I don't know. It, initially off the bat, it looked like he had jumped on this pitch. And he just didn't hit it as hard as I expected him to. So, Naylor gets an opportunity here. At least he got the play. He doesn't start game two either. Cam Gallagher starts game two. But at least he got some significant minutes out there and got the play. Got two at-bats, meaningful at-bats. Put the bat on the ball. Remember, he struck out a ton when he was up last September in very limited time. Uh, So, at least he put the bat on the ball and uh, gave us something interesting. So that was game one uh, to the Mets. Game two, you know, these doubleheaders are tough. I know there's other things. There's probably other things. If you watched one game closer than the other, you probably see something or want to talk about something. I'm just not going to be able to get to because doubleheaders, there's too much to get to. And game two, again, pitching duel. I mean, did ESPN get their money's worth? Because they probably promoted this thing as Verlander against Bieber, right? Two former Cy Youngs going against each other. Well, that's what they got. They they got some really strong pitching performances. Both pitchers go eight innings. Now, the big difference is Verlander gives up three hits, one earned run on a solo home run to Jose Ramirez in the first inning, just makes a mistake inside, and Ramirez destroys it. What a day for Jose Ramirez. Hits it 106.9 mile per exit velocity, 418 to the upper deck in right field out there. In City Field, 970 expected batting average and 30 out of 30 ballparks. This thing's a home run. So a huge swing from Ramirez, but that's it. Verlander's one of these pitchers that the deeper he goes in the game, the better he gets. No walks from Verlander. Five strikeouts. 98 pitches. Eight innings, 98 pitches. He's only hard hit five times by the Guardians. Meanwhile, on the other side of things, Bieber, very respectable day. Eight innings pitched. Does give up seven hits, but only two runs. Gives up the solo home run to uh, to Francisco Lindor. And uh, they get to him in the eighth inning for one more run. A couple of singles and a sack fly uh, drive in the go-ahead run in the eighth inning. Some people were like, oh, we left Bieber out there too long. I, I don't know. That's just what Bieber does. He, all game, he was getting himself into trouble. Again, seven hits, two walks. He was hard hit. Oh, boy. Here we go. Got to add these up. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 times. Remember, Verlander was only hard hit five times on 98 pitches. On 106 pitches, he's hard hit 12 times. That's a lot of smoked baseballs out there. And, yeah, he's literally the whole game. Does he go 1, 2, 3? No. Uh, He lets a runner on two-out single in the first. Lead-off single in the second, but it's wiped out by a double play. So it does go one, two, three, but a runner on. 
A walk and a single in the third, but he gets out of it with a ground out and a strikeout. Uh, gives up a two-out single in the fourth. The fifth inning, he finally goes one, two, three. The fifth inning, he finally sets him down one, two, three, and then gives up the solo home run to Lindor to kick off the sixth. Uh, gets him one, two, three in the seventh before getting into some big trouble in the eighth. So could they have saved him? I mean, would going to the bullpen have saved him? Maybe. We can't go back, though. We can't go back. I, I know you want me to question Francona's decision-making here, but Bieber was getting out of these situations all day. And uh, that's what Francona does. He, he puts his trust in people. He does this all the time. And uh, it costs him that one run. You know, but no, no, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It costs Francona, who made the decision to leave Bieber in. Shane Bieber deserves better than this. Shane Bieber deserves a little bit of run support. If Shane Bieber is getting four to five run support, you know, run support a game, if that's what his team is averaging, he's probably looking to be in another 20-game winner. He's really good right now. But you can't ex- you can't expect someone to live like this with these kind of margins, with a one-run game. You have to provide more offense. Three hits from the Guardians. That's it in game two. So, yeah. Scherzer and Verlander, the former Detroit Tigers, who went about their, you know, went off on their journeys. They interviewed Scherzer late in the game and like tried to ask basically, like, are you guys getting along? Like, now that you're back together? And he, I mean, he gave a pretty cliche, like, we, you know, it's a game where you're constantly learning. We're constantly learning from each other. His experiences in Houston, my experiences. We, you know, we're sharing a lot of information, which I thought was a very PC answer. Like, yeah, we're making it work. Look, we ain't going out to dinner together, but we're making it work. Uh, they dominated. They dominated their old Central Division, uh, you know, foes. And, uh, I mean, that's really a storyline of Game 2. I, not not many details to break down in Game 2. Not many highlights to go over. Uh, frankly, not many opportunities. Uh, nothing, again, CSW numbers, nothing really pops out. A little bit more whiff rate than in game one from these guys. Uh, a 27% whiff rate from Verlander. Uh, a 25% whiff rate from uh, Shane Bieber. But usually, that's a, probably a little bit below their their league a- or their uh, yearly average. It doesn't show us here on StatCast what their yearly average is on swings and misses. But uh feels a little bit low for both of them. Uh, Bieber did locate his fastball very well. 14 called strikes on the fastball. Uh, so 22 called strikes makes it a 33% CSW and, uh, same for Verlander. 20 called strikes made it a 33% CSW for him. So again, both pitchers, very effective, very respectable stuff there. Uh, going, let's go to the pitch. When we talk so much about working ahead, let's go to the count breakdown for Bieber and uh, definitely threw more first pitch strikes uh, than starting out 1-0. So that's good to see. Let's see, five, six, seven, eight. Only eight batters start out 1-0 against him. Uh, Verlander was even better. Uh, Verlander was a little bit stronger. Uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So, okay, ten guys do start out 1-0, but he works it back to a 1-2 count, to a 2-2 count very often against these guys. Whereas Bieber was working, and I guess only two guys get to a 2 and 0, two guys get to a, a one guy gets to a 3 and 0. 
Um, so some guys, you know, some hitters worked ahead a little bit more against Shane Bieber. Again, he does give up the two walks. Then, you know, the hitters against Verlander, who, uh, who was pretty rock solid. Did I say if there were any walks? I don't think there were. No, no walks from Justin Verlander. So, again, getting the count in your favor lets you be a little more aggressive, lets you get a little more swing and miss, guys trying to protect, guys chasing uh, when you're in those pitchers' counts. And, yeah, they again, seven hits for them. They finally found a way to break through in the eighth inning because they were knocking at the door in multiple innings, and they get just enough to support their pitcher. So uh, we lose the pitcher's duel, and it's it's frustrating. Like I said, we're we're proving that we're just, we're a bad team this year. The bounces aren't going our way. The magic isn't going our way. You know, last year we were able to hang around and pull these games out. The bullpen was rock solid. It seems like in these games, something is always faltering. When the starting pitching is there, like in game two, the offense isn't there. When the offense finally comes through, for even Friday and, and Sunday game one, the bullpen falters. It's just a symptom of a bad baseball team. Now, again, plenty of time to find the magic. But I'm just trying to be realistic here. I'm be a little realistic on May 21st. There's no magic right now. So, you know, Francona's not pulling the strings to get that magic. Whatever he does, whatever whatever voodoo he has to uh, you know, get his teams to compete so hard to uh to pull out these wins. It's just it's not working this year. Someone else pointed out that the Guardians like didn't attempt any steals this series. Especially with Gary Sanchez behind the plate for a full game. Like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. There were some speed guys on, and you're right. They weren't. They weren't even trying to steal. And this team was built on speed and taking extra bases and being aggressive. Sometimes it gets you thrown out like Josh Bell trying to go into second and get a double on a ball he smashed off the wall. Uh, I believe that was in game one. And he gets thrown out at second base. Uh, Actually ends up in a little bit of a pickle. Uh, Then we throw someone out. Uh, trying to take an extra base. So it was happening all night. Arias threw somebody out at second base trying to take an extra base. So it was happening all night, but we you know, we weren't uh, stealing. We were being aggressive off the bat, but we weren't trying to steal and take the extra base. And I, I thought that was the one of the identities of this team. So whoever pointed it out on Twitter, credit to you because you're right. I Where are the steals? Where's the aggressiveness? These are decisions that Francona can be making from the dugout to help push this team along a little bit. So, all right, that's all my thoughts. It's really annoying to get swept in a doubleheader. And it's really annoying to get swept in a series, uh, you know, especially when you're facing someone who you've got so much history with in Francisco Lindor and Scherzer and Verlander, former Central, you know, American League Central Division rivals. There's plenty of history there. So it's unfortunate, and we're just going to have to stick with it. We're just going to have to stick with this team and see where it goes. That's the other thing. No, it was super negative today, but it's not like I'm not going to stick with this thing and see where it goes. I'm watching this season to the end. I'm going down with the ship if I go down with the ship. And if we're rescued out at sea and make a miraculous recovery, I'll be there to witness it too. Because that's what you do as a fan. 
You don't, you don't, I know it's just Twitter buffoonery, right? I know it's just people being blowhards on Twitter, trying to be dramatic, trying to stir up likes and laughs and comments and whatever other engagement you're interested in. But this whole like, oh, I'm done with this team. What a toxic team this is this year. Oh, God, I I can't take it. It's poisoning my soul. Like, so dramatic. So freaking dramatic. What's the line in Bull Durham? What's the line in Bull Durham? Sometimes you're going to win. Sometimes you're going to lose. Sometimes it's going to rain. That's the, that's the attitude you have to have as a fan. You could push and you can want your team to be better. But you why let this tie you up and like ruin your entire summer because your baseball team isn't playing well? If they, if they continue to play like this, then we get to talk about what they can do to improve this thing. How can they turn this around? How can Antonini and Chernoff learn from the mistakes they made? You know, missing out on some really talented players from Oakland that would fill perfect holes in your lineup and roster, and instead replacing them with some guys that frankly were on the bargain bin. Josh Bell had a terrible second half of the season in San Diego, and so you got him at a bit of a discount. You, know, you paid a decent amount of money, but it was still a discount. For a big power slugging first baseman. You took a catcher coming off injury in his mid-30s. And yet, you know, you got took a flyer on him. Those moves were made because you didn't pull the trigger on trades with Oakland. To get some star level players who are lighting it up for Atlanta right now. So, do they move on from Bell and Zanino at some point over the next month? And do they go to Bo Naylor with Cam Gallagher as the, the veteran mentor? Uh, who plays great defense? And does I mean does Gabriel Arias get more at bats with first base DH available a little bit more, or what else? What, did you want to give jo- Joensky Noel a shot? Like what else? Does Oscar Gonzalez get another shot at this thing? There's gonna be if if it keeps going this way, there's gonna be some changes, and we're gonna talk about it, and we're gonna get into it, and we are not going to let. A bad baseball team ruin our summer. All right? We're not going to do it. We'll be frustrated with them. We'll be angry. But we're not going to let it ruin our summer. All right. That's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Yeah, sometimes we got to vent. Sometimes. In fact, this is why I, I couldn't I couldn't record this one in the morning. I couldn't. I, all these thoughts are running through my mind. I'm exhausted. But I had to get on the mic. And I had to talk it out with you. Because... Yeah, it's okay to vent. It's okay. But come on, be be a little straight, right? We're going to watch tomorrow. We're going to stick with this baseball team. We're going to see how they evolve and grow and change. And maybe change is needed. Maybe a little bit of change is needed. All right, that's all my thoughts. Again, the final, we get swept in the doubleheader. We get swept in the series. The Mets kicked our butts. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. You're all pretty quiet this weekend, so if you, you're listening to this in your drive to work, when you get to your desk, fire off a quick email. Mornings at gmail.com. I threw a lot out there today, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.